You are listening to the teaching and preaching of Dr. Warren Wearsby. This message was recorded while he served as pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, or the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. For additional resources, please visit 2ProfitU.com. That's the number two, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-U.com. And now, Dr. Warren Wearsby. Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. The psalmist had a word to say about this over in Psalm 8. I think we ought to read this. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth! Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I enjoy uh, walking through old cemeteries and reading the epitaphs on the gravestones. Sometimes you find very tragic ones, sometimes you find rather comical ones. I found a poem in one of our magazines that is called An Epitaph Found Somewhere in Space. It has only four lines to it, but uh, it carries a message. In desolation here a lost world lies, all wisdom with its aim, with noble plan. It sounded ocean deeps, it measured the skies, 
and fathomed every mystery but man. I don't think the Lord is going to allow men to blow up this creation, but the mess we're in is basically caused by the fact that people don't know who they are. I'm getting a little bit tired of reading about the identity crisis. Quite frankly, I never had an identity crisis in my life. My mother and father wouldn't let me. They always let me know who I was and where I belonged. But I can imagine growing up in this kind of a society today where there is a lack of discipline, where there's a lack of discernment, a lack of distinction, people might grow up and wonder who they are and where they came from. And of course, the answer to this problem is always in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. Genesis means beginning. And what is man is really the second most important question in the Bible. First question is, of course, what think ye of Christ? That's the most important question in the Bible. The second most important question is, what is man? Karl Marx tells us that man is an economic factor. He's expendable. Mr. Freud tells us that man is just a, an overgrown child who needs some kind of maturing. Mr. Darwin tells us that man is a, um, an animal trying to get better and better. What does God have to say about it? See, I want to know who I am, because if I know who I am, I might have some understanding as to why I'm here, what I'm supposed to do, and where I'm going. You perhaps saw the front page of the Tribune today, in which they had a review of Alex Haley's book, Roots. Here is a gifted intellectual checking out his roots. Where did he come from? What was his background? Well, here we have it in the book of Genesis for all of us. In this record that God gives to us in Genesis, we discover three basic facts about man. And if we understand these three basic facts about man, we are going to know who we are and why we're here and where we're going. Fact number one, man was created by God. So God created man. Now, Jesus picks this same thing up and talks about God created man. He's called the creator. Man was created by God. Now, I can recall when we were in our Hebrew class and Dr. Fouts was talking to us about the first chapter of Genesis and he pointed out to us that the Hebrew word for create, bara, is used in three verses here. It's used, of course, in 1-1, when God made matter. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's used in 121, where God made animal life, and it's used in 127, where God made human life. And so God made matter, but man is much more than matter. God made animal life, but man is much more than animal. And then God made human life, and that was the pinnacle of creation. We don't read that God called a council of the Trinity when he made animal life. We don't read that God called a council of the Trinity when he made matter. But we read in verse 26 that God called a council of the Trinity when he said, let us make man. Here is the pinnacle of all of creation. 
everything that had been done in the previous days was done to prepare the earth for man. Everything that God made, everything that God brought forth, was done to prepare the way for man. Shows how important men are. Now it's obvious that man is related to matter because man is made out of dust. We're made of clay. Thou knowest our frame, thou rememberest that we are dust. Sometimes we try to live like we're steel. And we aren't steel, we're dust. Of course, man is related to animals in the sense that they have the same creator. The animals were made, the man was made, there are parallels in anatomy. But you see, you can't get matter to turn into life. And you can't get animals to turn into human. God has so arranged this world that there is the mineral kingdom, and there is the vegetable kingdom, and there is the animal kingdom, and there is the human kingdom, and no kingdom can move itself up. You gather from this that I am not an evolutionist. I believe that I was created by God, and nothing yet has bridged that gulf between matter and life, between vegetable life and animal life and between animal life and human life. It hasn't been done. Man was created by God. Now we see in this the sovereignty of God. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It is God who made us. Now Paul picks this up over in Romans, and chapter 9, beginning about verse 20, listen to what he says. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? This is an interesting thing. When God made man, he exerted his creative power. He's like the potter molding the clay, and he is completely sovereign. Now, it may shock some of you to realize that God is still completely sovereign. Psalm 139 is that marvelous theological psalm covering the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God and the omnipotence of God. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 13. He's talking about his own prenatal experience. He's talking about the part that God has to play in the birth of a baby. For thou hast possessed my inward part. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Any doctor will tell you that, even an atheist. 
Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and intricately wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unformed, and in thy book all my members were written when as yet there was none of them. Now here's an amazing thing. God was watching the growth of a baby. And the suggestion is given here that God had an interest in the forming of that baby. Now you and I know that when a baby is conceived, the genetic code is sealed. You wonder who determines that genetic code. Of all of the multiplied millions of possibilities, who controls this? Now, it's my conviction that God does not leave this to chance. We cannot come to him and say, why was I made this way? Why is it that when my genes and chromosomes were determined, I wasn't given more athletic ability or more musical ability or more artistic ability? Why didn't I get curly hair? Why didn't I get hair? Can the thing formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me this way? You see, Genesis is saying to us, when God makes a person, he has a purpose behind it. This is the absolute sovereign will of God. Now, this is not something fatalistic. We take whatever we have and we use it for the glory of God. Some things we can do well, some things we can't do so well. But we can never say to God, you can't use me. Now Moses tried that. You want to turn back to Exodus chapter 4 and avoid the mistake that Moses made? God is talking to Moses and saying, you're just the man I've been looking for, Moses. You've had plenty of training. I want to send you to Egypt. In Exodus 4.10, Moses said unto the Lord, oh my Lord. Now if you use those three words, be careful what you say next. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Ever read Deuteronomy? That sounds pretty good to me. When I read Deuteronomy, I say, oh, boy, this man can speak. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Imagine the creature telling the Creator, well, you're making a mistake. Because either you should have made me different from the way I am, or you should call somebody else. And God said, look, I made you. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, oh, my Lord, Send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. <laughs> you see, the answer here is creation. God is saying to Moses, Moses, I made your mouth. Now, I know all about you. I knew all about you before you knew about yourself. I have made you, and I'm going to call you, and I'm going to use you. Now, get with it. You see, you and I like to argue with God. We look in the mirror and see our limitations. God looks at us and sees our possibilities. If you walk by sight and see only your limitations, you'll never accomplish a thing for the Lord. 
If you walk by faith and say, Lord, there's got to be some potential here. Here's the vessel. You made the vessel. Now take what is here, and God will take you, and God will use you. The sovereignty of God. But it also shows the frailty of man. Now I'm going to hammer on this. Because man today has the idea he is somebody. Now, he is somebody in one sense. That'll be our next point. But basically, man is not as strong as some animals. There are animals that live far longer than we do. There are animals that can hold their breath longer than we can. There are animals that have a better sense of direction than we do. There are animals that can do tremendous things that we can't do. But you see, man was created by God to fulfill a purpose that animals could never fulfill. And God has to remind us of our frailties. Now watch this closely. Without God, man is just like an animal. Think that through now. Without God, Man is just like an animal. When man, the creature, fails to recognize the creator, he becomes like an animal. I don't want to get into any debates with anybody because I have an appointment after the service, but I'm afraid that some of the byproducts of evolution are right here. One man is just an animal. Fine, let's just live like one then. If there is no God, and if we have no creator to whom we owe worship and allegiance and obedience, even apart from salvation, I'm a creature, and he's the creator. Oh, but if there is no creator, then I'm just a, a pretty shrewd animal. If you go through your Bible, you'll discover that whenever man leaves God out, he becomes like an animal. David found that out. David sinned against the Lord. He turned his back on the Lord. When he confessed his sins, he wrote Psalm 32. Ever read Psalm 32 where he says, Be not as the horse or as the mule. You know what David's saying there? He's saying, When I was living in sin, I wasn't living like a creature made by God. I was living like an animal. I was either stubborn like a mule or impetuous like a horse. Whenever I read Acts chapter 9, I smile a little bit when I hear God saying to Paul, Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goad. Now, you know what a goad is. A goad is a long pole with a point on it for prodding stubborn oxen. And God is looking down. Jesus Christ is looking down, and he's seeing Saul of Tarsus, the valedictorian of his rabbinical class, the great young theologian, the great persecutor of the church, he's admired in Saul of Tarsus by all of his peers. And Jesus looks down and says, you see that fellow down there? He's a stubborn ox. That's a picture of every unsaved person, a stubborn animal. And God is goading, goading, trying to get him to surrender. Amos uh, knew this truth. When you read the book of Amos, you find him saying some things we preachers today would never say. He, he faced a group of uh, women one day, Jewish women who were living in luxury. They had 
orchestras and they were drinking their wine out of their bowls and he calls them fat cows. Now, I couldn't get away with that. Amos got away with it. Oh, you fat cows. You think you are elegant, cultured, Jewish women, but you've left God out of your life and you're just fat cows. There's an interesting picture in Proverbs chapter 7. Might do us good to turn there. Proverbs chapter 7 is talking about a young man who came to Chicago and he wasn't uh, clued in on the slippery ways of the people of Chicago. He's being tempted. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6, At the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, the corner of a strange woman. And he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. Verse 6, she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day I paid my vows. Down to verse 18. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Verse 19. My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. Verse 21. With her much fair speech she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips she forced him. He goeth after her straightway, but he has ceased to be a man. As an ox goeth to the slaughter, as a fool to the correction of the stock. He ceased to be a man, he's become an animal. You see, my friend, we were created by God. And if we leave God out of our lives, we cease to be men and women, and we slip down to that level of animals. In fact, we are worse than animals. We know better. Animals don't know any better. God will never judge animals. I have a few in our neighborhood. I wish he would. But he will never judge animals. They do not have a moral sense. But he's going to judge us. And we know better. We were created by God. Now, there's a second fact that uh, Moses brings out in Genesis chapter 1. We were created in God's image. So God created man in his own image. Now, it doesn't mean body. It doesn't mean shape. God does not have shape. God is spirit. He's not talking here about hands and feet. In the, in the Bible, God uses human comparisons to reveal himself. When Jesus came to earth, of course, he took upon himself the form of a servant. But the theologians have a big word for this. This is what keeps them in business because nobody knows what they're talking about. But the theologians have a word, anthropomorphism. And anthropomorphism is a statement where you use a human trait to explain a divine attribute. The eyes of the Lord. Now, God doesn't have eyes the same way I do. The hand of the Lord. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers. Now, God doesn't have fingers and hands and arms. God is spirit. 
But he uses these illustrations so you and I know what he's like. When it says that God made us in his image, he's talking about, I think, two, three things. Number one, God is a trinity, and I believe man is a trinity. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that spirit and soul are separate functions of one entity. When a person dies, the spirit soul goes home to be with the Lord. If he's a Christian, the body turns to dust. But I believe there are three parts to man, spirit, soul, and body. The second area of um, being made in God's image is that we have personality. We have a mind and a heart and a will. Animals don't function this way. The third thing is we have spirituality. We have a contact with God. Animals don't pray, P-R-A-Y, they P-R-E-Y. But men know how to pray and worship. And God made us that we might adore him forever. And so we have spirituality. Now the tragedy is that this image of God has been marred by sin. When sin came into the human race, the spirit died. And you have he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. The spirit is dead. That, that holy of holies down inside where the God part of us dwells, the God consciousness is dead. And it's only when you trust Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit moves in that the Spirit is made alive again. And you have he made alive who were dead. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Of course, when sin came into the world, something happened to the mind and the heart and the will. Uh, the Bible tells us that man is depraved, not just deprived, depraved. This does not mean he does all the evil he can do. None of us does all the evil we're capable of. Thank God for that. Doesn't mean we can't do good things. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. No, depravity doesn't mean that we are all slimy, filthy murderers and we're living on the lowest rung of the ladder. No, no, no. Depravity means that our spirit and soul are in such a condition we can't please God. The spirit is dead. The soul, which I take to be the mind and the heart and the will, are under the control of sin. Ephesians chapter 4. But we can't argue with this. Verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth not walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in them because of the blindness or the hardness of their heart. Now there's the mind, there's the heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, there's the will, to work all uncleanness with greediness. In other words, here's the picture of the unsafe person. His mind is dark, his heart is hard, his will is enslaved. The image of God in man has been marred by sin. And the only way to regain that image is through Christ. Is it not a remarkable thing that God took upon himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took upon himself what we are, that we might become what he is. The goal of salvation 
conformed to the image of his son. That's the goal of salvation. Not straightening out the city of Chicago. That's a good byproduct. But the goal of salvation, conform to the image of his Son, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As we have borne the image of the earthy, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly. Thank God one of these days, the image of God in man is going to be fully restored to the glory of God. If you're saved. But if you're not saved, you'll enter into an eternity where that image of God cannot function. It'll be darkness, darkness, darkness. Oh, my friends, do you realize that God makes the outside environment to correspond to the inside condition? If your mind has been enlightened, if your heart has been enlightened, then you go to that place where there's light. If your mind and heart are in darkness, then you go to that place where there's darkness. Charles Spurgeon said a cute thing one day. He was a very young preacher in London, and he liked to say cute things. He said, if a thief should somehow get into heaven, he would pick the pockets of the angels. It wouldn't change him one bit. Some know-it-all came to him and said, the angels don't have pockets. Spurgeon got up the next Sunday and said, I understand that I made a mistake last week in saying that the thief would pick the angel's pocket. I'm sorry about that. He stepped back and said, if a thief should get into heaven and his heart not be changed, he would still be a thief. And he would steal the feathers from the angel's wings. And he would. You see, if you're an unsaved person here tonight and you somehow got into heaven, you'd be miserable. You would be absolutely miserable because you'd have to sing. There's nothing to sing about. Your inner nature would not correspond to your environment. Thank God one of these days the image of man is going to be restored. The image of God is going to be restored in man. And we're going to enjoy a perfect environment. But I've been saying this over and over again. Don't wait until the rapture to start at restoring that image. Do it now. Uh, we're in Ephesians, up in verse 24, chapter 4, that you put on the new man, which after God is being created in righteousness and true holiness. Over in Colossians, chapter 3, he says the same thing. He's telling us very, very clearly in Colossians chapter 3 that we should put off the old man, put on the new man, seek those things which are above. Chapter 3, verse 10. You've put on the new man which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We're created in the image of God. I'm going to spend a little minute on a few matters. I, I trust you'll be patient with me. It's very important. Because you and I were created in the image of God, we've got some responsibilities, even apart from salvation. Just stand out on Wells Street and watch the people go by, LaSalle Street, Clark Street. These people are made in the image of God. And because they were, they have some responsibilities. One of them is capital punishment. Or you say, what's that got to do with it? Well, look at Genesis chapter 9. You'll find out what it's got to do with it. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he him. 
That means that when a man murders a man, he's laying hands on the image of God. Do you know that right now the safest people in the world are in death row? You can't kill them. I could walk out here in the street and be killed. Somebody could shoot me or stab me, mug me, and they'll put him in a place of protection where he can't be killed. Now, if he gets out and kills somebody else, in some states they'll kill him. If he kills two people, that means that two innocent people are worth one criminal. Strange world we live in. You see, since we no longer believe that man was made in God's image, we can treat each other any way we want to treat each other, including murder. How about Second, First Corinthians chapter 11? I'm going to get in hot water now. First Corinthians. Chapter 11. This is the section about uh, women wearing veils and shaving off their hair. For a man, verse 7, indeed ought to cover his head, ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. That doesn't mean that women aren't made in the image of God. He's talking here about the place of the sexes in society. And since we have started to believe evolution, and we don't believe we're made anymore in the image of God, we've confused the sexes. Right? We now have homosexual marriages, unisex clothes and barbershops and hair salons. We're confusing the order of the sexes. And when God made them, he made them male and female. He didn't make two men. He didn't make two women. He made male and female. And he made them in the image of God. And he said, now, you, this is the way you're supposed to be. But we've confused this. Our scientists know so much more about this than God did, and we're in trouble because of it. Serious trouble. Our cities have turned into cesspools of iniquity because men are no longer men and women are no longer women. How about James chapter 3? As long as I'm in hot water, I'll turn the thermostat a little higher. James chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But the tongue can no man tame. God can, man can't. It's an unruly evil. That means it can't be ruled. Full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men who are made after the similitude of God. We can say anything we want to to anybody. We have slander today. We have lying. We have breaking of promises. Why? Because we've forgotten that man is made in the image of God. Now, here are three areas of serious trouble in society. Capital punishment, murder. One out of every 35 deaths in Chicago is a murder. We can prove that. I'm sure it's more. The confusion of the sexes. The way people talk to each other and write to each other and write about each other. These three areas are serious, and they stem from one fact. People have forgotten we're made in the image of God. There's the third fact that uh, Moses brings out, and we must hasten. We are created by God. We are created by God in God's image, and we were created to rule for God. He gave them dominion. The first king in the Bible is Adam. King Adam the first, Queen Eve the first. 
Adam was the head of the old creation. He had authority. He was God's deputy. God said, I'm going to rule through Adam. But if you'll read Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6, you'll find out something. Adam would not be ruled, therefore he could not rule. You can't rule others if you can't rule yourself. And so Adam lost his dominion. And that's why when you read Romans 5 and 6, you find the word reign and dominion over and over again. But you know what it says? Death reigned. Sin reigned. Death reigned. Let not sin have dominion over you. The first king lost his crown and his scepter because he would not be ruled. Consequently, when you and I came into this world, we were born not kings, but slaves. It's rather interesting that twice in Genesis and over in Psalm 8, he specifies, give him dominion over the fish. Don't you fishermen wish you still had that? Give him dominion over the fowl. Don't you duck hunters wish you still had that? Give him dominion over the beasts of the earth. I can remember as a little kid watching Clyde Beatty. We came up to Chicago to the World's Fair, and there was this big cage with these lions in it. And of course, I was so impressed as a little... We didn't have TV back in those days, and uh, we had to see things live and in color, you know. And here was Clyde Beatty with his chair and his whip, and he was controlling these lions. I see in the paper where a newspaper reporter got a story he didn't want. It wasn't Man Bites Dog, it was Lion Bites Reporter. And we watched, I said, how could he ever control those animals? God gave to Adam that kind of dominion. He said, I want to give you, this world is your kingdom. It's all yours. Just obey me. Now, he didn't, so he lost that dominion. Today, we don't have dominion over the fish and the fowl and the animals. But one came to earth one day who did have that dominion, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 says, We see not yet all things put under man's feet, but we see Jesus. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, he was the last Adam. He's the second man and the last Adam. Adam was the first man, Jesus the second man. Only two men in this world, Adam, Jesus. You're either in one or the other either in the first Adam or the last Adam. When the last Adam came to earth, he had dominion over the fish. He said to the disciples, cast your net on the right side of the ship. And they caught so many fish, they couldn't handle them all. He said, Peter, you've got to pay your taxes. Go down to the sea and drop in a hook and the first fish that comes up you'll find the tax money in his mouth. Can you imagine he could guide all those hundreds of fish into a net? He could guide one fish with an impediment in his mouth to take a hook. He had dominion over the fish. He had dominion over the animals. Mark 1 tells me that when he was tempted, he was with the wild beasts. And there were lions and things in the Holy Land in those days. When he rode into Jerusalem, there was an animal on which no one had ever sat. I wouldn't get on that animal. He did. He had control over the fowl. He kept every bird in Jerusalem quiet until Peter sinned. And then one bird began to crow. 
My Lord came to earth and he had dominion. He has regained all that Adam lost and more. And the only way you'll ever reign, my friend, is in Christ. Can we close on that note? You see, those of us who are Christians can reign in life. Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17 says, We who have received abundance of grace and righteousness shall reign in life. Are you reigning in life? Is the Holy Spirit of God giving you the kind of dominion that you ought to have, reigning over your body, reigning over your mind, control of your will? We reign in life and we reign in death. The weakest time we're reigning. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory. When? In death. I've watched people die. I've watched Christians die. It's like coronation. <laughs> it really is. And we're going to reign in all eternity. We're going to reign with Jesus Christ. If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's going to be an eternity of slavery. And so we've learned that man was created by God. He was created in God's image, and he was created to rule for God. This means that each of us has to recognize that we're creatures. God made us. That we're sinners. The image of God has been marred, and we need salvation. That we are slaves apart from Jesus Christ. Sin has taken what God has done and wrecked it. God made us his creatures. Sin has made us like animals. God made us in his image. Sin has marred that image. God made us to reign. Sin makes slaves out of us. That's the difference that Jesus Christ makes when you know him. You aren't just a creature coming to a creator. You're a child of God coming to a father. Reign in life. Through him. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we don't have to guess who we are or where we came from. We came from your hand. You made us as we are. We will not complain. What we'll do, Father, is take what we are and give it to you. And Father, do with it what you want to do. We're clay, mold us, make us. I pray for that one here tonight without the Savior. Oh, may he come to know Christ. For Jesus' sake, amen. All of Dr. Warren Wearsby's material is owned and managed by Script Text. The material contained in this podcast is copyrighted and is for personal use only not to be duplicated or sold without prior written consent from script texts.